The following sermon, entitled Signs of Deliverance, was preached on the morning of March 6, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's turn now to the Word of God in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus 4. And Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs, Neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth. 
and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Then Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart that he will he shall not let the people go. Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And that's as far as we read the Word of God this morning. The sermon text is in the first eight verses of this chapter, which I'm not going to read again. Moses was still in Midian and had met God at the burning bush while taking, his, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep in the desert near Mount Sinai. God, appearing to him in the bur burning bush, had commissioned Moses to be the shepherd of God's people who would bring them out of the land of Egypt and bring them too to the land of Canaan. Moses, who had been so zealous 40 years before, so zealous to deliver God's people that he had killed an Egyptian by way of delivering one of his brethren, now made all kinds of excuses to God as to why he shouldn't be the shepherd of God's people and shouldn't go back to Egypt. In the previous chapter, he had argued that the people would not believe 
that he had been sent by God himself. And so God had given to Moses his name. I am that I am as proof to the Israelites that God was the God of his people and that he had sent Moses to Egypt to deliver them. Here, in chapter 4, Moses continues to make excuses. They won't listen to me, Moses says. And it's in response to that excuse that God gives him the two signs that are recorded in these first eight verses of Exodus 4. The sign of the rod that turned into a serpent and then back into a rod again. And the sign of the leprous hand that was healed. God said to him, take these signs with you, do them in the presence of the Israelites, and they will believe. And they did, too, when Moses did those signs in their presence. Moses continued to make excuses until God became angry with him, But Moses went went to Egypt as the shepherd of God's people to bring them out of Egypt and to bring bring them to the land of Canaan as God had commanded and took the two signs that are in our text with him. Signs of deliverance. Signs by which God explained to his people in sending Moses to them what he would do for them in bringing them out of Egypt and then too in bringing them through the wilderness to the land of Canaan. Now you must understand that when God sent Moses to the Israelites with these signs, he sent him also to you and to me with these signs. That's the case, first of all, because you and I by faith in Jesus Christ, are Israel. You may never forget that. He is not a Jew. Paul says in the last verses of Romans 2, who is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. 
You have to remember what he says in the last verse of Galatians 3. That those who are of faith are Abraham's children and heirs of the promise. That's you and I, by faith in Jesus Christ, the true Israel of God. And that means in turn that the history of Israel is your history and my history. The history of what God has done, is doing, and will do for us as Israelites. That's, in the case of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, that's beautifully stated in the Confession of Faith. The article on baptism, article 34, I may have quoted that here before, I don't remember. But speaking of water baptism, the Word of God says, not that this is affected by the external water, the cleansing of the soul, regeneration from children of wrath unto children of God, is not affected by water, not brought about by water, but by the sprinkling of the precious blood of the Son of God, who is our Red Sea, through which we must pass to escape the tyranny of Pharaoh, that is, the devil, and to enter into the spiritual land of Canaan. It's just another way of saying that Israel's history is our history. And that means, too, then, that these signs of Israel's deliverance are also signs of our deliverance. By the hand of God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Red Sea, in order that we may enter, as the Belgic Confession has it, in order that we may enter into the spiritual land of Canaan. And it's with that in mind that I call your attention this morning, that's the theme of this morning's sermon, to signs of deliverance. And we're going to begin not by talking about those signs, but about what we might call the doctrine of deliverance. And then, I want as best I can to show you how that doctrine of deliverance is illustrated for our edification in these two signs that God gave. 
to Moses and finally make some application of that to you and to myself. So we're not going to begin by talking about the signs, but about the deliverance that God promises through those signs. Now you must understand, that's the first thing this morning, that when we talk about deliverance, we're talking about the second part of our salvation. You know that I think that our salvation has two parts. They're mentioned, by the way, in Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism, both of them. Question and answer 34. Wherefore callest thou him our Lord? Because he hath redeemed us, both soul and body from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood. Redemption is the first part of our salvation. The second part of our salvation is mentioned in the rest of that answer when it says, and hath delivered us from all the power of the devil. Belgic Confession mentioned him too. Hath delivered us from all the power of the devil and thus hath made us his own property. Redemption and deliverance. Redemption is the payment of a price. The price of the blood of the Son of God which purchases our deliverance, our freedom, who were in bondage, not to old Pharaoh, but to all that he represented. We're not really talking about that this morning. Israel's redemption as they prepared to go out of Egypt, took place when the Passover lamb was slaughtered and the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorposts of the homes of the Israelites. That was their redemption. The price of their deliverance. First from the angel of judgment, then from their bondage in Egypt, and finally through those long years in the wilderness. But even though that's not the subject of this morning's sermon, it's important because 
There is no deliverance except it be purchased by the payment of the blood of Jesus Christ. No deliverance for me. No deliverance for you. We'll talk about what that is in just a moment. Except by that purchase price of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so too, there was no deliverance for Egypt until in pictures and in types, that price had been paid. What then is deliverance? The deliverance that Christ's blood purchases for us. Well, deliverance too, like our salvation, has two parts. Deliverance is first of all deliverance from the slavery. I think you can see how this is all fitting together. Deliverance from the slavery of sin. And I tell you, beloved, I think you know that from experience too. But there is no earthly slavery that can compare with that. My eyes, my ears, my hands, my heart, my mind, and thinking are all enslaved by, de by the devil and by sin. And that is the just judgment of God Himself. And so entirely enslaved that I can't think one thought, speak one word, take one step in the service of God. In a different place, Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul speaks of it as a kind of spiritual death. You have it quickened were dead in trespasses and sins. And that is indeed what our bondage is. That depravity in which we, in which and by which we are enslaved unless delivered by the work of Christ and His Spirit. That's the first part of our deliverance. It takes place, really, when we are regenerated. Born again. That's our deliverance from that awful, awful slavery of sin. And the worst part of that slavery is, of course, that we love it. And never, ever 
want anything else but that slavery. We're like those poor, poor folk in Laodicea. Remember them? And how the Word of God describes them? Revelation 3. Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the slavery of sin. And it's from that slavery that we are delivered. When by water and by blood we are born again into the kingdom of God. We probably do well in the current climate to emphasize the fact that that deliverance is a deliverance from our depravity. My old nature, I think you understand that, my sinful nature, what the Bible calls the old man, is still as corrupt and depraved as ever it was and will never be changed until I die and go to heaven. But that's not all that you can say about one who is regenerated because by the work of the Spirit and through that amazing work of God in regeneration, He is also now a new creature in Christ. And that's just another way of saying that He has been delivered from that awful spiritual bondage. Paul talks about that in Romans 6. About that deliverance from the bondage of sin. Know you not? You know that? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the slave servants, is the word in the King James, that ye were the slaves of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin. Ye became the servants, the slaves of righteousness. Satan and sin are no longer our masters. Christ 
is our master. Why callest thou him our Lord? Because he redeemed me and delivered me from the power of the devil. That's the first part of our deliverance. But that, of course, immediately raises the question, why do I still sin? If I'm delivered from that bondage, why am I still like those Israelites who having been delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea, were such, still such a miserable lot of people. Why am I like that? And by the way, I am. You are too. When you read the history of Israel's wilderness wanderings, all their complaining and all their rebellion, you mustn't say those mis- miserable Israelites But you must say, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But the reason why we just, why we still sin and sin so often and so grievously is that though we are delivered from the bondage and slavery of sin, we are not yet delivered from the presence of sin. As we all know from experience. From the fact that every night we need to be on our knees again confessing our sin. Not yet delivered not entirely from the presence of sin. And that, by the way, is in our creeds as well. I mentioned Lord's Day 13. That emphasizes our deliverance from the devil and from sin's slavery. But the canons in the fifth head of doctrine, the fifth chapter, The first article talked too about that other part of deliverance, whom God calls according to His purpose, to the communion of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and regenerates by the Holy Spirit. He delivers also from the dominion and slavery of sin in this life. That's accomplished. Finished and done, if you were. I am no longer the servant of Satan. God forbid that it should ever be so. But not, I'm reading again from the canons, delivered from the dominion and slavery of sin, though not altogether from the body of sin and from the infirmities of the flesh, so long as 
they, that's those whom God regenerates, so long as they continue in this world. That's the second part of my deliverance. And that's the work, too, of Christ's Spirit. He delivers me from the presence of sin through the work of conversion and sanctification. But that takes, that's not the work of an instant, as regeneration is, but that takes a whole lifetime in the good pleasure of God. I am not delivered fully and finally from the presence of sin until I reach the Jordan River and cross it to go into what the Belgic Confession calls the spiritual land of Canaan. Then I leave behind forever what the canons call that body of sin and experience the fullness of deliverance. Two parts to our salvation. Two parts to our deliverance. I hope you've followed me so far. But those two parts of deliverance are beautifully pictured and illustrated in the two signs that God gave Moses. First, that sign of the rod turned into a serpent and then back into a rod again. Pharaoh was that serpent. And when that serpent turned into a rod, God was not only promising that He would deliver His people from Pharaoh, but that under the sovereign rule of God, Pharaoh himself would become the means of their deliverance. Would be used by God in their deliverance. As indeed he was. When he first chased them out of the land of Egypt and then went after them, to destroy them on the shores of the Red Sea, but was himself destroyed in the waters of the Red Sea and became in his destruction proof that Israel was indeed delivered from bondage. That's the first sign. Beautifully illustrated. But Pharaoh is represented by a serpent because in all of his oppression of the people of Israel, he functioned 
consciously or unconsciously makes no difference, as an agent of the great serpent. And you see that perhaps more than anywhere else in his attempt to destroy the nation of Israel by destroying their firstborn children. Whether Pharaoh was aware of it or not, that was Satan's attempt to destroy forever the hope of the promise and its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And in that, Pharaoh was really identified with Satan. And by that first sign, God says to Israel, I will deliver you from Pharaoh and from the bondage through which he again is attempting to destroy you and in destroying you to destroy the promise. And God said to Moses too, take this sign and they will believe. How is it in Exodus 4? that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. That's that first sign of deliverance. Now when Moses brought that sign to the Israelites, They had not yet been delivered from Egypt. But you have. You have. That was what we read in Romans 6. No longer the servants of sin unto death. The slaves of sin unto death, but the servants of righteousness unto life eternal. For us, that deliverance is accomplished, and as I said in the beginning, it's accomplished in our regeneration. You, are on the other side of the Red Sea. You've passed, as the Belgian Confession has it, through your own Red Sea, which is really Jesus Christ Himself crucified and the washing and cleansing power of His blood and righteousness. That's the first sign of deliverance. In God's, by God's power and grace, no real difference. As far as the deliverance of His people is concerned, 
between the shepherd's staff with which he leads them and the serpent that Moses was commanded to take by the tail. All. And the sovereign good pleasure and sovereign power of God, the means of his people's deliverance. That's the first sign. You see that? You see how your your own enslavement to sin and death is pictured and your release from that is pictured in that first sign? But then there's that second sign too and that pictures the second part of our deliverance. That hand which Moses put into his bosom came out white with leprosy when he put it back in came out cured. It's a picture of that second part of deliverance. Our deliverance and Israel's deliverance from the presence of sin. Leprous hand was a picture of Israel. Leprosy is always a horrifying picture of sin. How sin works its way into every part of my life and fills it with the corruption and stink of death. Picture of how in God's sight a leper. I have no place in the worship of God or in His church. And I'm an outcast from the true Israel of God. And the fact that Moses puts that leprous hand into his bosom is a reminder of the fact that God carries that leprous people in his bosom. But the end result of it is, of course, that that leprous people whom God carries in His bosom is delivered from the leprosy of their sin. Now for Israel, for Israel, remember what I said about that second part of deliverance, that it, it takes a whole lifetime? That second part of Israel's deliverance took 40 years. in the wilderness. That. Get that? That was their deliverance from the presence 
of sin, from that leprosy that was evident at Mara and Rephidim and Sinai and Kibroth and Kadesh and the wilderness of, of sin and the borders of Israel. All that happened to them. God's feeding them with the manna. But also all the trials of the wilderness. Fiery serpents and thirst and hunger. Enemies. That was, and that reflects back on the first sign as well, that was God's way of delivering them. Of, if you will, curing their leprosy. And God pictured that in that second sign. He said to Moses, bring this to them and show them that this is what I will be doing with them. But once they're out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, delivered from their slavery, this is what I will be doing. Delivering them, a leprous people, from that horrible affliction. And all the years of the wilderness wanderings were the story of God curing that leprous hand. Now all of that, as I've indicated, has application to us. I've already indicated that in some ways, but you and I have to get a hold of what these signs teach. The first sign, going back to that now, teaches us what Paul says in Romans 6. You are not in Egypt. Not anymore. And you must not want to go back there either. As attractive as Egypt, with all its pleasures, sometimes seems. You must not, must not want to go back there. In fact, you cannot go back. Because between you and Egypt now stands that Red Sea, which is really Christ crucified Himself, the one who purchased your deliverance from the Egypt of this world. You may not want to go back, but you cannot. Thank God. Go back to Egypt. And therefore, that's Romans 6. 
You must, as Paul says in Romans 6, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You may not say, I'm still totally depraved. Still in bondage. Still in Egypt. And certainly may not use that as an excuse for a wicked and depraved life. Reckon yourself if I may paraphrase what Paul says, reckon yourselves to be on the other side of the Red Sea and on your way, though the way is long, to the land of Canaan. Don't say I am still in that slavery still in bondage, but sing. Sing what Israel sang on the far shore of the Red Sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Because you understand that that part of your deliverance, as all of your deliverance is, it's the work of God Himself through His Spirit, through the regenerating and renewing power of His Spirit and the application of the blood of Jesus Christ to you. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then too, and that's the second sign as it has application to us. Understand, my dear fellow believers, understand that all the trials and tribulations disappointments, and discouragements of the wilderness through which you walk as pilgrims, illness, and cancer, and family trials are all part of God's work of delivering you from the presence of sin, from that leprosy of sin which 
you and I can see, still see in one another's foreheads. And in our own, when we look in the mirror. The way is difficult, yes, yes. But it's the way of deliverance. The way that leads to Jordan. And to that heavenly and spiritual land of Canaan. So don't complain as they did. Don't say we want to go back to Egypt as they did. Don't give up and give yourself over to fornication and all of the rest that went with the worship of the golden calf at Mount Sinai. But understanding that that's God's way of delivering you from the presence of sin. Forty years in the wilderness. Forty years of suffering and trial. That that's God's way. So that when you come finally to the borders of the land of Canaan, the leprosy of yours and enter that land of Canaan. Your leprosy is cured. And remember that it is God Himself in Christ who carries you in His bosom. A leprous people, to be sure, as far as that old nature is concerned, but who carries and bears you in order that in His way you may be cured. Moses said, you remember that? That was where this all started with Moses. He said, they're not going to listen to me. God said, if you show them these signs, they'll listen. At least the true Israel will listen. And you will too, won't you? Nothing, nothing that you want to hear is there. So much as what's pictured in those signs. I reckon myself, weak and sinful man that I am, to be dead indeed unto sin, and alive unto God, through Jesus Christ my Lord. That makes me listen. And so does that grand truth. That through trials and tribulation, through suffering and affliction, through all the discouragements and disappointments of our earthly way, 
the Lord our God is delivering us from what remains of the presence and power of sin in our lives. I'll listen to that. But so will you. I'm sure of it. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for what we have seen and heard in the Word this morning. We thank Thee that Thou art our strength and our salvation, our great deliverer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we thank Thee, Father, that we have passed through our Red Sea and are on our way to that heavenly land of Canaan where we will find forever and ever full deliverance from that which remains of sin in us. We confess our sins Acknowledge that we are no different from Israel of old, but confess our faith to in Thee, the great, the only, the sovereign deliverer of Thy people. And Lord, send forth Thy hand and deliver us. Each of us as we come to the borders of that heavenly Canaan, and all of us through the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will come as he has promised, our Deliverer and Savior. Forgive the sins that we have committed in speaking of these high and holy things this morning. Forgive us all our sins for his sake. Bless us as we go our separate ways for a few hours. For Jesus' sake, amen.